Ah, close to retirement, or retired already? Time to live the good life, right? Well, you're no longer earning money. You're now withdrawing money each month. And your broker is also withdrawing each month from your account as much as 2 to 3%. And if the market drops, your broker continues to withdraw. Wait a minute. How do we navigate these challenges? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halabi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halaby. Good morning and welcome to the program. I'm Arif Halaby, the total financial hour, and your place for news, talk, and information. I'm going to start with the phone number. Triple eight ninety nine retire. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. There's a lot of things that are taking place now, of course, in the economy. I mean, it's almost as if you uh, if you take a vacation, you hike to the mountains, you turn around and come back. You know, you, you kind of what do they say? De-stress or unplug? Isn't that interesting? Like <laughs> today, you even plug your cell phone in. Don't you just have those chargers? You just set them on and then they charge themselves. I guess I don't know, but you unplug. You leave the system, you leave the society, and you say, I'm going to get an idea of what it's like to not be connected to everybody and let them know where, I'm at, where I am every minute of the day, right? I mean, you can have those find my phone, find my friends, that, that kind of app. But isn't it interesting yourself and others that if you do that and you come back, it's as if you were never gone because although when you're in the minute and things are happening, whether it's in China or whether it's in Washington or, uh, you know, another uh, police officer defends another uh, minority and yet is ignored. <laughs> you know, how many times do we see that? And and yet you come back and then everybody's screaming about the same things they did as if you never you never unplugged for one minute. You know, there was some there was another issue this week and I want to share something with you. I'm going to sidestep for just a second. Because this really bothered me. So uh, I have family that's in law enforcement. Maybe some of you do. Friends, certainly uh, a lot of people. And some of you know I, I served over 10 years in, in law enforcement. And somebody, you know, on, on typical social media, you know, cries out and says, you know, all police are racist. You know, the typical baloney that they say from their comfortable couch. Never had to make a decision, a life and death decision in their life. And something occurred to me, and I, and I, I shared with it, shared it on, on social media. You know what it was? I said this. Me and, and another friend of mine, in fact, it was, it was my cousin we were talking about. Me and my cousin together have protected, saved, defended, and probably saved the lives of more minorities, yes, black Americans, than any of these clowns on their far left website. I mean, do you understand that? If you're in law enforcement and you've worked in any 
uh, minority, major, majority minority neighborhood, do you realize that you are saving the life, protecting, defending more minorities than, than Al Sharpton? We're going to call him Mr. Tawana Brawley. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, get your magic Google device, take it out, put in Tawana Brawley, see if they even have it anymore as they keep scrubbing it. And I ask myself, wait a second, these people are, are so mad at a white officer for saving the life of a black uh, uh, lady, young lady, because he had to take the life of another young black lady. And in order to, to save her life, he had to take her life. Do you think law enforcement people want to do this? You know, I thank God I've never had to pull my trigger on the job. I mean, I know people that have had to do it. I've been in scenes, you know, on scene when, when officers have had to make that decision. I, I, I'm thankful I never had to. But you understand that it's the day-to-day things. It's getting the bad guy off the street. It's allowing uh, little Johnny or little Susie to walk to school without being hurt by the Crips or the Bloods or this gang or that gang. I mean, you understand that, that it's a lot more than that. Who else is going to protect the minority communities, these upper middle class, spoiled brat white kids that dress in all black because they're intimidated. So they have to pretend like there's something like a superhero, you know, Batman, they can come out. They have some sort of special powers by being anonymous. I don't know, guys. I just want you to know, in the world of law enforcement, there are bad guys. <gasps> Shock. Firemen. <gasps> Engineers. Physicians. You know, one of the reasons I had to retire from the police department was because the physician that did my original back surgery messed up. But I asked a lot of the other, you know, back surgery patients. I said, let's riot. Let's take the OR down. No. I said, well, I guess this is a lot I've been dealt. Two other back surgeries are required now to fix this person's mess. And my career was over. Right? You don't get to make those decisions. I mean, I wish sometimes. But sometimes things happen to you. Sometimes there are bad guys that work at your favorite uh, big box store. Sometimes a pharmacist makes a mistake. I mean, this is called life. And I want you to start pushing. Ready? I want body cams on all politicians. Body cams on every single congressman and woman. When they're representing their district, we need a body cam on them. When they are doing their job, they are affecting more people than one or two lives. That's right. And we need a body cam on Kamala Harris, and we need a body cam on on Mr. Joe Biden. That's what we need. And if we don't start pushing for that, folks, then I think there's a problem. Because this is getting ridiculous. We want body cams on everybody so that you can pick apart and second-guess everything from your Cheeto-stained fingers sitting on your couch and thinking that, wait a second, did you know the new TV just came out and I have 75 months, same as cash, for this 97-inch? Yeah, and you spend your, you know, your, your $1,400 and then it's another 1400 and it's another 1000 You keep getting bought off by the politicians and because your free Wi-Fi or your you know, subsidized one gig of RAM... <laughs> you know, you think, oh, well, I must be getting, uh, you know, I need another computer. 
Government pay for it. You don't understand who I am. Pass the processed food, please. Don't let them make a decision. You guys have to have courage. You know, Dennis Prager says this really well. And I, and I, I love it, so I'm, I'm just going to keep saying it. I'm, I'm going to steal it from him. As long as I give him credit, I think he's okay with it. And even if I didn't give it credit, I know him well enough to say that, that his, he's humble enough to not, not care. And it's that there's three types of people in the world. There's the fighters, by far the smallest. There's those that support the fighters, maybe a little larger in quantity. And the largest of all are those that do nothing. Take a look at some of the, as close as you can get to real times in France and Poland and in some of the other parts of Germany. The German people knew there was a a Holocaust occurring. They knew the jewelry that that suddenly had an influx into the stores at, uh, at whatever reasonable prices wasn't theirs. Right? It didn't come from the open market. They knew these things were stolen, and they, turned, they were the do-nothing group. By far the smallest group, certainly in the initial part, are the bullies. And all of you are just, you were raised with class. That's the difference. You were raised to have a little bit of class or even a lot of class and respect. So you would never do what these people do. So you, but you're told, you know, don't you think differently of them? They are supposed to be able to express. So this man is an immigrant. He built his store, his dry cleaner, laundromat, nail salon, donut shop, liquor store. Yep, they built it. Came to this country. Some of these people are my family. Transmission shops, restaurants. And now, the only way these upper middle class white kids who do not live or shop or eat or drink in that neighborhood... And they come and destroy it, steal, and that's the, you know, it's an expression. Well, weren't we told that about graffiti? You know, let them graffiti the, the, the public spaces because it's an expression. Uh, let's remove uniforms from public schools because it's an expression. No more your hair has to be this color or that color. You can have it rainbow if you wanted. You can have body piercings coming out of your forehead, your face. No problem. It's an expression. And just kind of let me know when, by the way, does your expression cross into my existence? Uh, maybe. Right? You guys are just keep getting pushed back into a corner. You have to stand up. You have to say, no, thank you. Nope, doesn't work. Chief Craig, Police Chief Craig. Some of you might know that name just by me saying it. Used to work with me in the Los Angeles Police Department. Guess what? He was from Detroit. As a young man. I think he grew up there. Came to Los Angeles. Served in law enforcement. Promoted. Moved back to Detroit. Became the chief of police there. You notice you don't see D- Detroit burning down? I don't. I don't know if that's... You know, if the list of, of cities that are saying, no, thank you, this isn't going to happen to our city. You notice that? Why? And by the way, he's a black chief. And he said, Arif, uh, Arif as if he was talking to me, he said, you know, we're not, we're not uh, just going to do this to protect the people. He goes, these people are thugs. They don't live here. 
And as the Black Lives Matter group started coming down and protesting, local gangs, believe it or not, got together and said they're not going to come and destroy our neighborhood. And two blocks away, you know, the police were on one side and the only one that kept the gang members from just tearing these people apart was law enforcement. And guess what these Black Lives Matter did? Oh, all right, let's get back on our, you know, business class airline tickets. Let's just get back in our cars, rental cars or, you know, Range Rovers and and let's drive to the next city and burn it down. Anyway, you guys have to stand up for this. All right, listen, we talk about a lot of things on the show. We do it because I think there's an economic impact. If you don't protect our city, by the way, it will be next. Right, I was driving the other day and uh, there was a... um, Lady, I I use that term loosely, but out of respect, wearing a very, very small, not necessarily well-fitting shirt. I don't know, like a tube top, maybe a bathing suit looking thing. She was definitely a little larger than the size on that tag. And she had a big sign, white lady with a bunch of uh, piercings coming out of her face. Some of you might have seen it, St. George Boulevard. She was there, big sign, Black Lives Matter. So I rolled it down. I said, wouldn't it be honorable to say all lives matter? She said, well, that's the point. I said, what's the point? She said, all lives matter. I said, but your sign says black lives matter. By by definition, you are saying that the others don't. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's just a college-educated perspective. I, I think she probably drove by college once. Or more likely, she has somebody else paying for her sociology degree in something, right? Female studies of something. But one, she wasn't eloquent. This still doesn't mean it's not educated an educated person because that's the way it is these days. And I thought to myself, if she allows that to happen, allows those people to come, and instead of one person in the intersection holding the sign, there starts to be five and ten, right? Whenever you're near a university, it used to be nice to be near a university, and now you have this, this uh, madras. What's the difference between an extremist madras in Pakistan and a university that, that preaches hate of America and hate? Right? A madras is a Muslim school, right? We used to say, oh, there's madrasas in Pakistan and Afghanistan and they're teaching anti-American. Well, can you say the American university, even in conservative areas? What's the difference? Those people get their school, then they go out to the community. Pillage, steal. How is that going to affect you? Well, let's be uh, let's be clear. I don't know if you had a chance to see quote the the civil unrest that was mostly peaceful, right? <laughs> okay, Abraham Lincoln's night at the Ford Theater eh, was mostly peaceful. But I don't know if you know, but he got shot and was killed. But it was mostly peaceful. But who do you think is going to rebuild? these parts of Wisconsin? Who do you think is going to rebuild the parts in Ohio and others where these thugs steal? Yeah, that's right, taxpayers. And who do you think has money? These kids that sleep in their parents' basement that are on their seventh year of college of a degree that's going to mean nothing and they keep deferring their student loans and they work under the table or they make just enough to not pay taxes. Yeah, that's right. You, the retiree. 
You're the only one with money, just so you know. You're the only one with money, and we can push you around. Because the moment you start saying something, we go, oh, well, you know, you just don't understand the younger generation. This is how they express themselves. And when you say, yeah, but that's why I tolerated the graffiti over... Well, that was expression. Yeah, okay. Right, so, so part of this is they're now going after you, senior citizens, just so you know. 50-year-old-ish? 50, 50 yeah, you're next. One, because you're going to be inheriting your 85-year-old mother's stuff. And 71-year-old and male with, you know, saved for retirement, worked hard, maybe a rental property, maybe you sold one of your houses and now you have, ca- yeah, you're next. So whether you inherited money or you saved and worked hard, you are the next because you're the one with the money. It's not a secret. They're not going to go after 26-year-old kids with three children. They're just not. There just isn't any money. So guess what? It's you. So how are you going to handle your retirement account so that you can navigate the minefield? It used to be very simple, very straightforward, actually. It used to be very easy. You just kind of walk along. You inherit money. Here are the rules. You're going to have to take it out. You can keep it. You can keep it for the rest of your life. You can spread out the income. Not anymore. If the original account owner had passed away prior to January 1st, so in other words, December 31st, 2019, or earlier, so December 31st, 2019, maybe they passed away in the last few years and you just left the account. Because you know there's an emotional experience when you inherit money. Sometimes people add a, a, an emotional value to an, an inheritance that isn't really there. It doesn't really exist. And so they create something where the money itself is, a, you know, seems to have some sort of guilt or shame. So I want you to know it's not about that. A dollar is a dollar. It doesn't have a guilty feeling in its body. It doesn't. Did you earn it honorably? Did you do something? Did your parents or your whoever left it to you, did they earn it honorably? If they did, if it's come into your life honorably, that's the way you should treat it. Now, if they were a thief or a cheat, well, then I would say find a great place to donate it and get rid of it. But if they were a hardworking person or a smart person with money or you know, a fortunate, lucky person, I mean, sometimes that happens, then I think you should treat it with honor. Because you see, when people save money, rarely, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I still, I get it often uh, enough. But rarely do they say, I'm saving money that I know for sure I'm never going to use. Now, they might do that at age 80, but they're not going to do it at age 40 or 50 or 60. Because when you're saving money at those ages, you think there's going to be a day that you're going to use it. And God decides to take you home sooner. But guess what? You saved that money for a purpose, didn't you? You had a job for that money. Well, here's my point. If that's the case, and you inherit money that has that honorable link to it, you have to treat it in a special way. I'm sorry. It isn't the same as if you went out and sold your motorcycle and you have an extra $5,000 and you're going to do with it as you choose. It doesn't work that way. This is real hardworking money. I mean, this is somebody's, somebody sacrificed for it. Somebody said, 
well, I guess my journey ends here. They took off the backpack, they handed it to you, and they said, keep going. I don't know how much further down the trail you're going to go, but this is where I end. I want you to know at TFS Financial Insurance Services, Total Financial Solutions, this is what we do. We are specialists in handling your retirement account, those rollovers, the proper respect for the money. It isn't just another account. I guess it's different. Maybe other financial professionals might just call it money and and do it that way. We don't. There's just a special thing. If it was before December 31st, 2019, then you're allowed to stretch that out, stretch out those payments, where you still have to take out a minimum, but it's a very low minimum, and it goes up every year, but you can stretch it out over the rest of your life. Now, if the person passed away after January 1st, 2020, then those dollars are required to be taken down to zero in 10 years and 10 minutes. That means if somebody passes away, you do not have to take a certain amount out next year or the year after, but you are required down to zero at 10 years and 10 minutes. Well, that's uh, listen, there's good and bad in both. The government says we want our taxes now. Instead of you living 25 years and spreading out the taxable income of this, the government says we want to cash this, this check within the next 10 years. So it was a trade-off for other types of tax benefits. But here's one of the reasons that I like this particular feature, or at least a way to make it work better for you. Ready? You have 10 years to adjust your living conditions, where you're going to live. In other words, if you live in a high-tax state, you can have time to move. When you're in that other state, now you take delivery, if you will, of that money, and now you are taxed as if you live in that state because that's where you live. If it is money that you need to live on now, Well, you're going to meet with a a financial professional and take out or withdraw just enough to keep you under the next tax bracket. So you can do it where you regulate it, give me a little more, give me a little less, to manage your income taxes. I think that's an important part. And the other part that really makes a big difference with this account, are you ready? You get choices that the person who passed away does not. In other words, you can do something fun with it, you know, take a trip, experiences. You see, rich people buy experiences with money. Poor people buy stuff. Now, I didn't say poor people with no money in their pocket. That's broke. Poor is a mindset. Look at Ben Shapiro. He did a great video where he talked about poor people. Very controversial. And I'm not saying I agree with everything he said in it. But he did make a point. He said the reason poor people are poor is because of the systemic lack of financial literacy in their in their uh, communities meaning you can go to you know Appalachia or you can go to downtown uh, Los Angeles or Seattle or New York City the the boroughs that are the poorest yeah what's the common denominator they don't know how money works it's not that they don't make money it's they just don't know how it works oh yeah it is i make it and i spend it okay well You'll be poor again next year. That's why when the government gives out, you know, $1,400 or whatever they're trying to do, the people that do that, they know. They know they're just feeding you a meal for a day. They know that you're not going to have any clue what to do with it. And it's like adding gasoline to a fire for most people. 
Some will buy an asset. Some will pay off a debt. But if you pay off a debt and get back into debt eight months later at Home Depot or Lowe's or Costco or whatever, the big box, because I need it. I need it. If you don't understand, I need. Okay, well, let's look at your garage. How much other stuff do you need? Or your closet. How much stuff do you need? So, you know, listen, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to understand how money works, if you just want to be comfortable, you have to learn how these rules apply to you. So I'm going to get into a little bit more of how do you handle an inherited retirement account? Because there are a couple of different sets of rules depending on who is going to give it to you, who and how you you were going to receive it. And then what do you do for a house? Right? What if you've inherited a home or a piece of real estate? What are the rules associated with that? We'll touch on both of those things when we come back. I want to give you the phone number again, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. And you can get a hold of us anywhere. I like it. All right, stay with me. Retirement accounts, inheriting them, what do you do? We have that when we return. On the Total Financial Hour, I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. Thanks for joining us. The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. All right. As you are inheriting money, that happens sometimes when people are saving. They expect to be somewhere financially in their life. Maybe they pass away suddenly or maybe they just saved enough money to not have to spend it all in their lifetime. That's an honorable blessing to the person who's going to receive that. But here is the catch, because there's a bunch of catches with this. Due to the the 2019, 2019 Secure Act, you might have had different options prior to this, but now your options for handling an inherited 401k or an IRA, those are retirement accounts. Today, now it depends largely on your relationship to the person who passed away. So if it is a spouse, husband, wife, or I guess husband, husband, or wife, wife these days, if it is a spouse that inherits it, they are allowed to carry that over and act like it's their own account. It's their own money. It's their account. Things continue. No changes. Because spouses have more options, I want to touch that first. Okay. They have the choice to roll in the retirement account into their own IRA, individual retirement account. Now, if it is an IRA, like a pre-tax account, meaning they haven't paid taxes on the money, for example, today you work, you make $50,000 a year, you put $5,000 into an IRA or a 401k, today you pay taxes on $45,000. That $5,000 is going to earn interest, we hope. When you retire, where you retire, those dollars are taxed at whatever your tax bracket is and wherever you live at the time of taking out the money. All right. Those are called 
pre-tax monies, pre-tax account. That means you set the, the money aside. You haven't paid tax on it yet. You're counting on the future to have lower tax rates. Okay. Now, if you're a spouse and, and your, your significant other had an account in that type of, a, uh, of an IRA, you just move it over into your own if you want. And it's the same old rule. It's as if you had saved that money for your entire life, which means at age 72, you have to begin taking required minimum distributions. I know a lot of our clients and, and uh, folks that come into our office, they still say, oh, isn't that, uh, isn't that uh, age uh, 70 and a half now? I go, no, it used to be 70 and a half, but it's changed to 72. That was probably, I think, one of the best decisions in that SECURE Act because people are living longer. Why force them to start withdrawing money at age 70, 70 and a half, when they don't need it. So it allows you to push that money in the future. And a side note, if you are still working and you are age 72, you still are required to start pulling money from your IRA. But are you ready for this? If you took your IRA and rolled it into, so prior to age 72, you rolled it into your employer 401k plan, that means it's the work-sponsored retirement plan. You are allowed to move it from one account to another. And as long as you don't own more than 5% of the company where you work, well, you just work, right? Even if you're working part-time, wouldn't that be great? You work part-time and a lot of people do this. They say, I don't want to take money from my retirement account. So you take that retirement account and you roll it into Starbucks, McDonald's, Home Depot, JCPenney, whatever, wherever you're working, part-time, they have a retirement account, boom, roll it in there. Guess what? You're not required to pull out the money. It can stay there and keep growing. Now, you can pull it out if you want, pull out a little bit, pull out a lot, but you're not required. And regardless of where that account is, as you are working, you are allowed to continue to add to your retirement account, regardless of what type of account it is. An IRA, that means it's an individual, or your employer plan. Okay, important you know that, because this is about strategy, right? I always say, who makes the rules, rich or poor people? And they always say, rich people. I go, okay, that's not a surprise, right? You guys know this. Rich people make the rules. Well, they've always made the rules. It's not a secret, right? Napoleon made the rules, whatever they were, to benefit himself, his friends, and his family. Fidel Castro, Cleopatra, Genghis Khan, the United States of America. There's no difference. Rich people have always made the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family. Except, you see, the United States of America, when the rules were written, they said, and by the way, the rules apply to everyone. Now, I understand at the beginning it didn't apply to slaves, but it still applied to everyone, including freed blacks. And it applied to, to immigrants, but not all of them. And we worked on that to create a more perfect union. See if that term sounds familiar. And so the United States says rich people make the rules, but the rules apply to everybody. But here's the little asterisk. I'm not sure what they called it back in those days. It might have been the thou asterisk. <laughs> but what they did, so we just don't have to tell you what the rules are. Figure it out, you win. Don't figure it out, you lose. 
You see, because back in the day, you might have been a farmer or, or you worked in a factory and you had six children and you worked and you saved and your kids were working in the factory and you might have saved up enough money to send one person to college. Maybe, maybe nobody. But if you could, it was usually one. Now, was it the oldest boy or the oldest girl? That's right. You sent your oldest boy to college and you guys checked your watches and you said, see you in three, four or five years. And when your son returned with knowledge, you said, tell us what you learned. Tell me. And your hope was to sacrifice for today so that that child would learn something and be the, the person on the other end of the rope, pulling the family out of poverty and into the middle class. And then once everybody got on that side of the rope, I would say about 25, 30 years ago, and now when knowledge comes to you for free, right, it used to be, well, it's over there in that building. There's a library over there. Knock on the door, see if they'll let you in. No, no, no. Now you get your free government Obama phone with, with your free government Wi-Fi because uh, fiber optics cable, right? That's a right. Just like everything else is a right. So you sit there with your free school iPad or your, your subsidized uh, elementary school. I mean, you get the idea, right? And you go sit by anybody's Wi-Fi for free and information comes to you uh, for free. That's the problem with the student loan world is people are still borrowing money on something that's generally obsolete. There's no reason. What, to go find out about how to build a nuclear reactor? Give me 15 minutes. Hold on. How do I build a... Oh, wait, you want to speak French? Oh, hold on. How do I speak French? Uh, teach me the classics. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait. Uh, Latin? Yeah, I could do that. How to read hieroglyphs? I mean, y you get it, right? Geology? I can learn anything about it. Now, okay, do you want a degree? Do you have to work? Do you want to be an astronaut? Do you want to be a physician, a brain surgeon? I get it. Okay, yeah, of course you have to go to school. My point is the vast majority of people have no reason, no business stepping in, in, inside of a traditional four-year school. And guess what COVID just taught us, right? The Wuhan virus, COVID, Chinese flu, whatever we want to call it. Guess what it just taught us? Uh, yeah, they just said, they told you, you don't need to come to school. It's just as good. So you sit at home almost for free. You can get free curriculum. You understand you don't have to pay for certain curriculums. These $200 or $400 books per person that our school districts are having to buy. And you can get that information at zero cost. I'm sharing this with you because clowns are still taking out second and third mortgages to send their kids to school. And I mean financial clowns. I don't know if you guys have the big you know, nose or the ears, but you, you have to know this, you guys. Don't mess up. Don't take the inheritance that was given to you and flush it down the proverbial drain. You tell your kids, this is what I told my kids. I said, look, I'm going to save for two years of school. You better go to a community college and you got to figure out what you want to do because I'm not going to spend $300 a unit for you to say, oh, I want to be this. No, I want to be that. I'm going to change this. Okay, seven years later, I'm out of school. Um, no, thank you. Me and mom have a life. We're working for this money and you're not going to receive any inheritance if you have loans for undergrad work, period. Why would I give money to somebody who's already proven they don't know how to handle money? So if you are somebody that's planning to leave money to somebody else, 
you are allowed, in fact, I think required, mandated to put strings attached to that money. I had a client, she had three sons. One is a good man, works hard, honorable guy, takes care of his family. Another one is married to a lady who used to use her children against the grandmother. Give us money or you won't see the kids ever again. No joke. Evil, in my opinion. And another one was a full-blown drug addict. Lived at the house with her. Poor guy. I mean, I, I feel bad for him. Of course, I think it's his choices. But his brain was fried. Done by now. So, of course... She's been, she was a client for quite some time. She goes into a, a, an assisted living facility. And I say, I think you need to put rules so that we don't have one person. You know, I want the money to be, you want the money to be spent to your grandchildren and not this, you know, daughter-in-law who's a, who's a, who's a jerk. Well, then you got to put rules associated with the money. You want money to not go down up his nose or in his veins for your other son? Because she knew he was a drug addict. Then you have to put rules. The other son, he's fine. He's a good good man. He's a, he'll be okay. But you ready for this? This is pretty important. She did nothing. So each son inherited around $890,000 after taxes done in their pocket. Yeah. 890,000 American dollars. And how quickly do you think drug addict son spent it on drugs, and is now homeless. Took him nine months. Nearly a million dollars. How quickly do you think the ex-wife spent that money on her third remodel of the house and the backyard? And then I think just about when the last dollar was spent, she said, and now I'm leaving you. But that it did take a little while for her to heal from the cosmetic surgery, so she didn't leave him right away, but she did leave him after she felt better. I think you need, you're required to put strings attached to your money. Now, if a spouse inherits it, I think what's mine is my wife's, my wife's is mine. 30 years of marriage in a couple of months, there's really no, I, what did I come into the marriage with? Well, darn it, I, I had things. I had a used twin bed and a nine inch black and white TV. And I'm taking that, that's my soul and separate property. Just about everything else is ours. I think she had a trundle bed from her roommates in college that she that's what she came to the marriage with. But other than that, we what's hers and, and mine are are, are in, indistinguishable. But what happens if a non spouse inherits the money? Because this is where it often is the case. You're the child. So if the beneficiary is a minor child, now this is important because there is Maybe a reason to put a minor child as a, as a beneficiary. Meaning, if it's a younger person, it could be a grandchild. It could be somebody who is younger. Well, they still have to take out a small required minimum distribution. But once they hit age 18, and in most states it's 18, depends on where the beneficiary lives... For some, the age of majority might be 19 or 20. I don't know. There's different rules in different states. But let's say it's 18 years old. After 18, then the the clock starts to speed up, and they have to have the rest of the money gone by age 28. 
So for example, if they inherited it at age 15, they're required. Now they are allowed to take out more. They just have to take out a certain amount each and every year. And then once age 18 hits, the clock speeds up and they have to have everything out by age 18, uh, by age 28, sorry, 28. So you got to look at this and say, is that an important part of what I'm trying to do? Do I want to make sure that my minor child has their education paid for? Do I want to put strings attached to the money? What if you have a special needs child? That's important because if you are going to try to provide to a special, for a special needs child, well, then you better have a special needs trust. So if you have a child that you think is never going to be able to really care for themselves without government assistance, you know, maybe they're, they're autistic, but they have high functioning or maybe, so they're okay, but not maybe a hundred percent. You're just not sure a hundred percent of which direction to go. Then you can create a special needs trust. And that allows you to have the special needs trust, not the child, but the trust is the beneficiary. So you pass away, the money flows into that trust. Now the child does not own the money. Only the funds are, are allowed to be used or required to be used for the child's welfare, maintenance, support, healthcare, education. So... Whoever the trustee is, the person who, who you ultimately trust to write those checks each month, put them on auto deposit or auto pay to pay for their apartment, whatever it might be, the funds cannot go to the special needs child. It has to go and pay the mortgage directly, pay the rent directly, the electric bill directly. You understand? So the funds are not owned by the child, but the child can benefit from the funds. And when I say child, I mean, it could be somebody that's 30, 40, 50 years old. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. If they need a hand as far as financially or mentally or physically, then that special needs trust needs to be established. All right. Now, here's the key. Because it is that accelerated, right? When I say accelerated, that 10-year rule, it's an interesting thing because all of us have that ability to take the funds, and if it's a year when you have a lower amount of income, here's the strategy for this, right? The, the strategy is simple. I want you, if you are inheriting money, you have that 10-year window. If it's a year in which your income is really low, for whatever reason, you took time off to have kids or you were laid off or whatever it might be then that's the year I want you to take more out of that account. If it's a year when you are doing well and financially you're, you're, you're healthy and strong, but you're saying, gosh, that 10-year clock is ticking and I don't have very many years left, I want you to create or build or add to your current retirement accounts. All right, so here's an example. Whatever you might be putting aside in your retirement account, let's just say you're doing nothing. Well, we can turn on the switch and have your retirement account at work take $20,000 a year 
from your income, comes in the front door from your job, but before you receive it, it goes into the back bedroom called retirement account, 401k. Say, Eric, that's nice, but $20,000, I need to live. How am I going to eat dinner? Say, great. Guess what you do to the 401k or the IRA that you inherited? You say, give me $20,000. So as long as it shifts through and runs through your income at work, you're not going to know this. I mean, nobody knows this. It's just, you're going to say, it's a two-part process, I should say. Retirement account at work, I want to put in $20,000 into my retirement account. Okay, great. Then what you're going to say on the other side is, uh, um, hey, IRA, I inherited from my mother or my cousin or my brother. Give me $20,000. $20,000 comes in. The rest goes out. You're net even. You're about the same. Really didn't change you too much. And guess what? You classified that money as income and it did not change your tax bracket one bit. Very important you know that. And it's a way to shift it from somebody else's retirement account into yours. Now, look, we can do the same thing with your spouse. As I mentioned, you know, what's mine is my wife's and what's hers is mine and ours is ours. So if she has a retirement account at work and you want to get $40,000 out of that account, well, you do the same thing. 20000 goes from her job. Now you just say, raise your retirement account at work. Your contributions, you need to just take three quarters of your paycheck. Just push it in. And then we flip the switch and we have money come into your bank account. Now, look, you might be, it's difficult, of course, right? I don't have a television I, that I'm, or a camera. I'm not doing my whiteboard work. So how do you know? Very simple. I just want you to give us a call. Well, we can do it on Zoom. We can do it on in any uh, form or fashion that makes sense for you, where we can sit down and say, hey, how do we decide what's best for you? And we work very closely with your CPA, your tax professional, maybe your attorney, whatever we have to do. I'm a certified estate planner. So as a certified estate planner, this is part of what we do, I think for 20 years now, maybe 20, 21, 22 years, right? It's a big deal because... I, I I do that education and follow that specifically so that I am able to handle these things and, and to have the conversations with the attorneys. When we talk about this stuff, there's a lot of us out there that are experts in different things. Financial professionals here on this radio station, TV, I mean, you can shake a stick and, and, and not miss one of us. All right, that's fine. We have different certifications, different needs. But I'm going to give you a couple of things that I want you to kind of just look out for. Make sure that the person who's handling your financial work is somebody who's an expert in that field. I don't want you to have somebody who can do soup, nuts, chicken, and, and by the way, you know, we're an expert at banking bread. You're like, great. Well, what are you, what are you great at? I mean, when people say, oh, I could do bonds. I had a client yesterday come into the, or last week come into the office. Hey, Arif, I have I bonds. I said, all right, let's take a look. I don't know what they, when did you buy them? What are they valued at? Let's take a look. I said, how did you buy them? Well, the financial person that sold them to me, you know, he's older now and he doesn't understand. He doesn't remember why we bought these. Gee whiz. All right. Well, we need to take a look at that. Because part of the process 
is you need an expert in each one of these fields. My job is safety protection, making sure that you are keeping your money safe and out of trouble, making sure you are not losing when the market goes backwards, making sure you are not falling behind when it comes to reliable retirement income. I just don't want you to get in trouble, right? Financially speaking. And I want you to honor the money that was given to you. So make sure the financial expert you're working with, that they're an expert, not somebody who does everything. And one of the key things, we're starting to see this a lot. You know, these phony, I'm an author, I'm an author. Now, if you're a real author, well, great, you're an author. But what I'm seeing is folks like Brian Tracy and Steve Forbes, they are selling their name to guys like us. Meaning I can pay them $5,000, maybe a little more. They will print books with my name on the cover, a little bio about me, a picture about me in the back and tell you that I wrote that book. I didn't. And in fact, Steve Forbes didn't even write the book. He had a bunch of staff people do. And it's a nice book. It's a kind of elementary, but it's designed to be, oh, I'm a celebrity. Here's my book. I'm a best-selling author. I don't know what that means, best-selling. Award-winning. What, did your, did your mom give you an award? I mean, what does that mean? I'm an award-winning person. Yeah, because in the fourth grade, I won the spelling bee. I mean, I'm an award-winning person. Everybody is. Somewhere, I hope. Most valuable player, I think, in, in, in Little League. So what, maybe fifth grade or something? So, so everybody's an award-winning. So I just want you to make sure that the person, the expertise you're dealing with is really the expertise. All right, triple eight ninety nine retire. Any questions on this stuff? I can help you. Uh, sometimes we just do Zoom calls or phone calls or Teams, Microsoft Teams or FaceTime, whatever we have to do. Skype, you know, came and went. They were the first in the party. I haven't heard of them for a long time, but we can do it all. Triple eight ninety nine retire. Eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Every week at this time, we run our show, and then occasionally, you know, I'll run, I'll, I'll replay it. So you might have a question. Say, what did he say again? Just reach out. We're happy to help. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. TFS Financial Insurance Services. Have a wonderful day. Learn from Arif Halaby. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial.